All right, if you've been around the Offside channel lately, you know we are heavy into the draft talk. This right here is now our fourth draft talk. We're sitting down with Sticks in the Six Zone. He writes for the Hockey Writers. He is Mr. Peter, and if I say it wrong, correct me. Peter Barachini? Barachini, but I, I've, I've heard it all, okay. so it's all good. <laughs> my, my apologies. I can tell everybody I butcher last names I don't know. Riding Shotgun, <laughs> as always, with me is my co-host, Dylan Fournier. Make sure you follow him over on TikTok at D434. What's up, Dylan? Not much. Solid day. Uh, how's it going, James? Living the dream. Let's and go. so apparently is Haley Wickenheiser. Yeah. Named the assistant general manager uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Steve Simmons trying to throw some shade, saying basically it's uh, nothing because you have, what, four AGMs now. I think the more voices and opinions you could have is probably better. So, I mean, sorry to other teams that can't afford to have the kind of staff Toronto has. <laughs> um, another big thing, too, today, Mike Rear, San Jose Sharks, mm-hmm. absolutely huge. Big hire there. Love the fact that he took the phone, was fumbling his way through it, tried to uh, add a little spark of personality to the uh, the GM announcement. Uh, Peter, what do you think of that? I, I absolutely fantastic hire. Um, I mean, we all know the history that he made. Um, just absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I remember it, it, it seems so surreal right now because I've been I watched him in the late '90s, early thousands. The type of player that he was, physical, gritty, in your face, and now he's, you know, the GM of the San Jose Sharks. And you know, I'm I'm really interested to see how he approaches to rebuilding this team because I think they're in really great hands. I mean, um, obviously, you know, game's gone a different way from when he played till now, but I'm pretty sure he's well equipped to know you know, the type of pace that the game's being played at right now. And I'm pretty sure he's going to make a ton of smart moves for the Sharks. Um, really excited, again, really excited to see what he's going to be doing and can't wait to see what his first move is going to be. How difficult is for him, though, to come in literally days yeah. before the draft? I know they mm-hmm. have a scouting staff, but we all know that the GM gets to rubber stamp the approval. Uh, Dylan, what do you think about that? Bringing in a GM literally, I'd say, what, 72 72- to 72 hours away from the draft, basically, when you have to start making concrete decisions of what you're going to do with your organization, let alone trades that you may make at the draft table to free up the cap space he's looking to get. Uh, I, I feel like it would be very nerve-wracking if I was in that position, but I, I, I do believe that, obviously, you have this scouting staff there for a reason. Um, you know, Maybe he does have a couple of names in mind for his pick, if he has one in this year's draft um, in the first round, sorry. Um, but you, you know, I, I think everybody in the org- organization will be prepped and ready to go for that pick. So uh, I, I don't think he has too much stress about it. What do you think, Pete? Do you think he's going to have a little bit of trouble there? Obviously navigating his first draft days in, or is it basically he's going to roll with whatever they've already got on the board? I mean, any hire this close to the draft, obviously is probably going to be a little bit nerve wracking, but at the same time, you know, for, especially for him, the, for being a first-time GM, I, I think he's going to be very confident with his decision-making. Yeah, kind of like what um, – uh, uh, sorry. I, I, Dylan. 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 Sorry about that. No, Long okay. day. Um, <laughs> what Dylan said about the same uh, thing about, um, you know, have, having the picks also, but being a little bit nerve-wracking at times as well. Um, I, I think he'll be able to manage it. It is difficult, but I'm pretty sure he's got a couple picks 
up his sleeve. Um, you know, the Sharks could use a whole lot of help up front. Uh, I know they got William Eklund, uh, a couple of 2020 names as well. Uh, interesting to see where he goes with the 2011 pick. Is he going to go forward, defense? Because there's going to be a lot of great names in that uh, range where they're going to be picking. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Obviously, make his rubber stamp on the team. Speaking of nerve-wracking decisions, first NHL draft that is live within two years. It's in Montreal. Montreal Canadiens have the first overall pick. It does have to be nerve-wracking for another kind of rookie GM. I know he's been around the landscape for a long time. Knows players inside and out. Has signed deals. Knows how to uh, leverage things, shall we say, to get to where he wants and have people talking, which is what he's done with this pick so far. Is Shane Wright his guy, or are we going with the Bob father with Slavkowski? Is it Cooley? Does Brad Lambray come back down here and go in the top five? I've seen his number going up and down every which way, but left and right. Uh, or does Montreal say Josh Anderson or Brendan Gallagher or Jeff Petrie, see you later with another pick, and they end up bringing themselves in another pick, maybe one-two combo. We talked just before we jumped on. Maybe Montreal making the big return to the draft splash and getting the one-two and setting that organization up. What do you think happens, Pete? It's got to be something. Um, I, it, It's kind of times like the this that I wish I was an insider so I could have some info and tidbits, but I really don't. Um, I, I honestly think that maybe they do pull off a move to try and get into the top ten. I don't think necessarily top Five, top three i think that might be a bit of a stretch but hey stranger things have happened at the nhl drafts who knows what can happen um if they do get that one two i mean I, I i've been on the shane wright um you know not necessarily bandwagon but the hype train since his days in the gthl i mean fantastic rookie season really stood out at the u18s they have took a little bit of a hit this season. I know uh, he talked about it at the Combine, how, you know, this season was tough for him at the start, and a lot of OHL players are missing that full season, but he was able to pick it up and have a really solid season down the stretch. So if I'm looking at a one, first overall, I'm still taking Shane Wright, and if they do go uh, manage to get a top two, top three pick, um, if they do get the second overall, obviously your Slavkowski could be within their range and wheelhouse as well because – you know, they could use some size. They could use some grit as well. And he's a bully on the ice, especially attacking the middle of the ice. So interesting to see what he, what they're going to do. I mean, I, I again, I kind of wish I was an insider so I could drop all these like bombs and like <laughs> tidbit and info like everybody else. But at the same time, um, if, even if they do get a top 10 and they try to take, you know, a really highly mobile puck moving defenseman that's in that like 11, 12, 13 range, like a Kevin Kraczynski or Pavel Mendukov, I think that would probably help them help them bolster their blue line a little bit more considering we saw the steps that Caden Gooley took this season. Yeah, I look at the the Montreal Canadiens. I say, you know what, if they do want to get back into maybe the top 10 or even top 15 with another pick, I think you'll really see what Ken Hughes' plan is here, what he's thinking for this organization. Because if you're removing a Christian Dvorak, who you just acquired, by the way, mm -hmm or a Jeff Petrie, or any of those kind of Brennan Gallagher, Josh Anderson, you're really signaling that, hey, we're going with youth, and we're going to build through the draft, and we're going to build this team back up to the prominence where it needs to be, but it's going to take some time. If they don't move any of those players, I'll ask both of you this one. Does that mean the Montreal Canadiens are still trying to maybe band-aid the solution 
and get themselves maybe into a playoff spot. To me, I think it's going to be the first bit of it. I think they're going to go young, but who knows? Um, I like you could you could go that way in, in a sense. I I feel like that's something similar to what Colorado did. Uh, they they had the veterans that stuck it out uh, in Colorado and and help you know teach young guys uh, you know on what to do in the NHL. Uh, but I, I I truly can't see that happening uh, again. I I still think that. Uh, the biggest question is kind of carry price and see what he kind of di- does as well. I think uh, he's done. Ultimately it is up to him. Um, and, and you know what? Uh, maybe there are a couple guys that want to stick it through and uh, see where this team goes. But um, I, I think you'll see a, a couple trades. And, and like Peter said, if they get a top 10, even a top 15 pick, I don't think it would, it would be too bad for them to uh, either help out on the blue line prospect wise or, uh, even uh, another forward, maybe they take a risk on uh, Brad Limber if they get, a, you know, a top 20 pick type of thing. That name is going to keep coming up through this entire <laughs> show. Uh, yeah, so obviously the Montreal Canadiens talk, the, the bell of the ball, so to speak. It's in their hometown. They got the first pick. Obviously all the noise is around them right now. Um, for you, before we jump into the Leafs, because this is going to be Leaf-centric, so if you're not a Leaf fan, Beyond the next five minutes, you probably want to tune out because we're going to be talking heavy <laughs> Lots to talk about. Lots to dissect. I know people probably groan as soon as they hear your Leafs name. Um, but before we do, what team jumps off the page to you here um, as a team that may be a mover and shaker this weekend who may either want to move up the draft, may want to give up their pick, may have prospect capital that they want to move, um, to a team that maybe wants to give up a couple players to get some picks or prospects? Is there someone in your mind that jumps off the page that you're like, watch out for these guys this weekend? Um, I, Because of the rebuild that they're going through, um, not necessarily to try it. I, I, I highly think that the New Jersey Devils need to have a really strong draft considering the season that they had. Um, obviously, they're set down the middle, but they want to add and build around the core that they have of Nico Heischer and uh, Jack Hughes. I mean, phenomenal seasons for both of them. Uh, they want to try and fill out their wing. I know they got a lot of prospects coming up in the pipeline, but if they want to try and maybe add a few more pieces, I think they got that going for them and, you know, add to an already impressive, you know, um, uh, system. I, 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 I remembered uh, writing about them and they're in that top five, top 10 range of the top uh, farm systems for the prospects at the hockey writers when I wrote that. Um, I, again, I'd also look out for the Seattle Kraken still developing or still trying to add in pieces. Um, obviously they went with the top number one center in Maddie Veneers last year. Do they try and go the route of trying to get a uh, Simon Nemitz or David Juracek to fill out that, uh, blue line for the future? Um, if there's one team that I really want to see stand out and have a really strong draft, it's gotta be the Boston Bruins because the, over the past few years, they really, haven't made great picks. I know there was a late uh, round slide in Fabian Lazelle last year, but their prospect system is extremely bare. Um, not a whole lot of talent aside from him. So if they're able to, and they don't even have a first round pick because they traded that to Anaheim for Hampus Lindholm. So it's going to be really tough. So they're going to have to hit a lot of home runs on the picks that they do have. And I think their first one is going to be into the late of the second round. So already in trouble right there. I want to see if they maybe try and move up and try and get a pick. Um, I, I, again, I, I think, 
you know, you always have to try and wonder what are what's the what are the Montreal Canadiens going to do? Are they going to keep that twenty six pick? Are they going to try and move up? Or do they even try and get a pick and build up for next year? I mean, twenty twenty three is going to be a very very stacked class, and we all know Connor Bedard is going to be leading that. Um, you know, the, the, and even if they don't land him because they have the first world overall pick this year. If they land a top tier name that's in the top five, top ten, I think that's going to really help them boost up uh, their prospect system from what they already have, twenty twenty two and in twenty twenty three as well. All right, Dylan, I'll flip the same question to you. Who's a team that's on your radar? And uh, before I let you answer, I will say, had to pick the Boston Bruins. Hey, eh? we just had to twist that knife. Yeah, right? that, that that was me just trying to put the pass and playoff history aside <laughs> and just focus on the draft there. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right, Dylan, who's the team you're watching this weekend and why, my buddy? Um, I've, I've heard a lot of rumbles in Alberta of, I, I do believe Calgary ha- still has a first round pick. I could see them trying to move that and maybe trying, uh, you know, to uh, solidify their top nine or even their defense a little bit. Um I think Seattle would be really good. I mean, they still kind of have to build. I did hear a little bit of rumors about them maybe taking on Tyson Berry uh, in Edmonton. But uh, I I think New Jersey would be a team to watch for, like Peter said. Um, They they definitely, future-wise, look the scariest and... I don't think they necessarily need that second overall pick, so they could use it to get uh, a, a big guy. You know, say maybe Vancouver wants to head in the direction of rebuilding a bit or whatever. Um, it could move at that sense, or if Montreal does come knocking with a, the right opportunity, uh, they could do that as well. The team that neither of you uh, mentioned that I'm really intrigued about is the LA Kings. They're a team with a lot of prospect capital. They obviously made the deal for Fiala. Um, You know that they probably either can move up in the draft, look to select somebody else, or they can start packaging their guys that they have that maybe not be the ones that they want to use anymore. The Velardis, the Turcots, you keep going down the list. I mean, geez, you have Quinton Byfield as well that's there, that they're obviously going to give a full-time role this year. But what guys are not going to get a full-time role in L.A.? That's the question. So I look at L.A. and I say, man, they could either flip those guys for picks or flip those guys for players and really bolster their roster. And I think that their picks would be definitely in play here because I think they're trying to get ready to go for it. They're trying to build up for it. So L.A. to me would be a huge team to watch leading into the draft and even after the draft heading towards free agency. Teams that may want to unload a guy – and like the Montreal Canadiens, you know, when Brennan Gallagher looks sweet, you know, back with Phil Deneau playing for the LA Kings and you flip over a Turcotte or you flip over whatever prospect in, in their system that they may not be able to use because of what they've brought in and because of what they're doing. So to me, LA is the most intriguing team. Then for me, yes, I would agree. Seattle's right there. Um, they're a team with cap space. They're a team that has the ability with a young blue line. They did hit on some of those picks we all laugh at them for some of the picks that they made through the expansion draft, but some of the young defense that they took, not too shabby. So this team may be a team, again, that's a mover and shaker this year, not only through trades, but free agency as well with all that cap space. Or does Ron Francis do what a lot of GMs 
hope he will do and weaponize his cap space and accept all the picks and all the goodies to uh, alleviate the pressure off some teams who are right up against the cap. And maybe we see a Petamorazic or Petamorazic, sorry, going that way over to the Seattle Kraken with some space there. So who knows? But I'm just saying those two teams to me really are intriguing. There's a lot of things. One team on the huge upswing, one team trying to get some momentum, second year in the league. So those two really intrigue me. And especially after their playoff run or making the playoffs, I think they're going to try and be all in to try and be consistent and even look to add some defense. I know that, you know, they want to try and bolster their depth, especially on the left or right-hand side. So if they're able to uh, swap that pick with, you know, other pieces and bring in a defenseman, that's really going to help them out in the long run. All right. Well, I'll ask you the question. There's been a little bit of rumblings about uh, maybe they look at Jake Muzzin coming back as a mm-hmm. veteran kind of guy uh, going back to LA. The familiarity is there. We'll, we'll start chugging the Leafs train here. So if you want to change the channel, go ahead. Um, <laughs> but would LA look at Muzzin? And I'll ask you the double-sided sword here. Should the Leafs actually get rid of Jake Muzzin? Um, I, I... It does make sense to try and trade Muzzin back to L.A., considering the familiarity that he had. Um, he spent most of his career there, won a cup. So if they were to try and trade him back, I, I would probably assume L.A. would be at the top of his list. Um, overall, I mean, there are some pieces that the Maple Leafs could look to bring in in return. I mean, like you said about uh, a Gabe Filardi or an Alex Turcotte, players that really haven't move the needle maybe they could try and find something for them in toronto and try and you know push them a little bit further to try and make the nhl because we know how the maple Leafs have had some success in some reclamation projects as well uh we look at you know andre kasha and his injuries although all by different scenario he looked really great as a signing so if they could try and bring in some prospects develop them a little bit better who knows what could happen um on the flip side of things the maple Leafs. You want you want to trade him because of the cap hit and, uh, you know, two more years at that. But if you get the Jake Muzzin down the stretch of the last five, ten games and the playoffs where he's hitting, he's being a factor, looking more like a Jake Muzzin from last year than he was compared to the first 50, 60 games and the injuries when he started hitting him. Yeah. That's really difficult to try and find unless you're unless you're moving Muzzin out, signing Rasa Sandin to try and give him top four minutes because he seems to be poised to try and take that next step. Or if you're bringing in someone like Jacob Chikrin to try and replace Muzzin, again, I, I, I that's a separate deal in itself. That's going to be a different trade target, whatever you want to throw in there. But you, you know, you, you got to figure out you, they brought him in for a reason. And we saw that during the playoffs. So if he's able to try and continue and be that consistent factor, great. But I still think that, you know, if in a perfect world, maybe you'd like to shed off at least maybe 1.2, $1.3 million of that contract to try and get a little bit more wiggle room in hindsight. But you know what, if they're able to try and trade him out and bring a significant upgrade, that would be a little bit more consistent. Great. But if you get the same Jake Muzzin in the playoffs, I think it's going to help them out big time. Well, he brings that element and Dylan, I'll get you to answer this one too, but he brings that element the Leafs don't have. And that's what I keep preaching is they don't have that guy. That was the Jake Muzzin for the last 10 games in the playoffs. We don't have that. Anybody else. There's no one replicating that on the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm a big guy. If you're trading someone off your roster, who's the next man up who can do those things that you're trading out or whatever you're bringing in? Can they do a balancing act to give you even a poor man's version of what you're trading away? 
Because if you're losing that and you're not gaining anything back for those things that you're looking for, then all you're doing is creating a hole. Yes, you've got the cap space, but you're probably going to go spend that just to fill that spot again. Hello, Josh Manson is probably where you're going to go and get a player like that, which is going to cost you probably in and around the same, if not more, than Jake Muzzin did. So, Dylan, is it the right move here to move Jake Muzzin? I'm in the no camp, but, hey, I, I'm probably in the minority there. Um, Like, Leafs-wise and cap space room, I could see it happening. Um, now, in the moves that we made at the trade deadline last year, I really do think that we brought in a – cheaper Jake Muzzin. We bought in brought in Labushkin, who hits excellently. And Giordano brings something out of I think just just about everybody on that decor. And he can he can hit himself even though he's 38 or however old he is. Old man strength is this thing, buddy. Mm-hmm. I'm two years <laughs> away from 38. Let's pump the brakes on that. <laughs> um but I could also see Lilligren almost shifting, you know, a little bit of his his offensive talent to that side of of play, especially with him uh, pairing up with Giordano. Um, now, if you do find the right move, great. Like you said, Josh Manson, or if you know, like Peter said, you do find that deal to get Chikrin, then that would be a a, a great. Uh, replacement in my eyes uh but my favorite i think would have to be manson he did he did a lot for colorado in that run and uh he i honestly don't know what chikrin can do in a playoff run i i know he has you know <laughs> we haven't seen offensive, it that yeah <laughs> you know he does have some offensive numbers but uh who knows if he can handle the pressure here in toronto yeah, Toronto's a different beast. Well, let's let's talk about Toronto in the draft here. We'll talk about some more players here in a couple of moments. Um, so the draft for the Toronto Maple Leafs, 25th overall. Um, do they keep the pick? Do they flip it for more? Does Kyle Dubas pull the Kyle Dubas special and move himself down the ladder a little bit? Or does he try to jump up, uh, package it with maybe the rights of Campbell or the rights of Mikheyev and maybe move himself up a couple of spots with the team, maybe like the New Jersey Devils, who really want to sign. I'm not saying they're going to get second overall, but if Jersey flips that for a later pick and then they go to Jersey and say, hey, we'll give you the rights to Mikheyev or we'll do a sign and trade plus our pick, can we move up and grab a guy? What do you see the Maple Leafs doing here? There's lots of things that have been out there. What is your gut telling you? Um, I I think the Maple Leafs are – Obviously, you mentioned the Duba special. If he's able to find a name that's still there at the end of the first round or that's going to be there on round two and he gets a second round pick because the Maple Leafs don't have one, I could see that happening. But if there is a name that is just continues to fall down or this happens to land it into their hands, because I'm a big fan of Rucker McGroarty, I'm a big fan of Liam Ogren. Um, I think Liam is very close, or not necessarily very close, but he's got a lot of pro-ready like qualities. His intensity, his compete level. Um, he, he plays a very mature game, and we saw that at the U18s. Rucker McGrory plays a similar style to Matthew Nyes, except maybe lacking in the skating department, but he's been working and improving on that. He mentioned that at the draft combine. So uh, I, 
also he grew up a Leaf fan, so I wouldn't put put it behind me to say, hey, maybe the Maple Leafs try and draft a bigger goal scoring winger with the ability to improve uh, on his skating. I'm big on Cali Delis as a defenseman. Um, again, if a player falls to them, I, I think they will keep that pick. But if there's a name that they that that player's gone, like let's say Ogren's gone, McGordy's gone, um, if there's a name that they're so going to be there. I, I could still see them trading down. And also Owen Beck. I think Owen Beck is one name to keep an eye on. They did have a, a, what he was one of the players that had an extensive interview with the Maple Leafs as well. And seeing his pace of play, his energy, his speed, and the way that he tested at the combine, his strength, I think that would be a very, very good pick 25th overall if they choose to keep it. Um, but yeah, it, it, again, if they're able to try and build up that draft capital, because they only have three picks and try and get... Not even even if they don't get a first and if they get two seconds, I think that'll still help them out big time. But we'll see what happens because there are a lot of options for them, a lot of players at their disposal. And I, I, I'm just really curious to see how Dubas is going to play this out because, you know, the Maple Leafs already have a really talented prospect system. Yep. But adding in these three, four, five, whatever picks you want to, if there are deals in place with McKayev or you're trading Jack Campbell's rights as well, then it's just going to help them out tremendously. And, it, and especially with those two players, if you're able to get roster help right now and impactful players, that's just going to be a huge bonus. No, it'll definitely be a huge bonus. I, I just look at this and say, you know, we all know what Kyle Dubas does. There's lots of names that are probably going to slip here. Um, would you, and I'll ask this question, we're talking about reclamation projects. Would uh, Brad Lambert be a guy that you go and chase down if he falls into your lap? Obviously, uh, there's some knocks against him. You know, nobody really knows for sure. Attitude, motivation-wise, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, he's got to come back over here to North America, um, see what happens there. If he goes to CHL, where he goes, wherever he goes. He doesn't have to. Uh, obviously, European player. I think he can go to the AHL with, with no uh, no problems. But um, is that one the Leafs might take a, a swing at? Where, again, you just said they do have a deep farm system. Not deep, but deep enough. Um, where they can actually wait for a guy to maybe come mm -hmm. along a little bit? Is that a swing they try to take? If there is one swing, obviously you mentioned a lot of great points with Adam Lambert because he, or Brad Lambert, sorry, I don't know why I said Adam Lambert. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm in queen mode right now, but, um, uh, but yeah, no, Brad Lambert, I think he's one name that every team should look to if he's going to fall to try and take a swing on because he's got the, he's got the hands, the speed, the creativity and the offensive awareness. It's just the consistency factor all season. I mean, he was playing not so much meaningful minutes in the Liga. He got sent to the Pelicans, which wasn't really a great team. And he was struggling to try and find his way similar to Atu Ratu Rat last year, where he dropped yeah. out of the first round. He was supposed to be the top pick dropped further down than a, a first round where a lot of people had him in that range. And then he dropped to 52. So it wouldn't surprise me if even uh, Lambert drops to um, the second round. If there's one player that I would try and take a swing on, it's going to be Ivan Miroshnichenko. And that to me is obviously I'm, I'm so happy that he was able to recover uh, with his Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis. That, that to me, he's healthy getting back into the swing of things uh, with his on ice trading um, and also, you know, the Maple Leafs are going through that situation as well with Rodin and Mirov, and I hope that he's doing well as well. But the fact that Miroslav is going to be a Lilligren 
pick 2.0 because yep. we all know how he had uh, Mono in his draft year, supposed to be a top two, three pick, and then he drops 17th. Mirosevchenko was supposed to be a top five pick given his, you know, powerful like mentality and his shot and his ability to just bully his way to the net. There's thought that he could drop to the 20, 20 range, 25. I would probably take him 15th given his upside of being a top 10 pick. But if he also falls given his ability to score goals and, you know, having that familiarity possibly with a fellow countryman and Rodin and Mirov, having that goal scorer, having that two-way playmaker on the wing, I think they're both left wing, so it probably wouldn't quite work out. But if you could have one play on the right side, obviously with the – I, I, I don't know how it's going to play out positionally, but if you get a really solid goal scorer like Miros Nachenko, I think that's one name that you really should keep an eye out as opposed to not necessarily Brad Lambert, because I think that he is going to be a talented player. And I think teams shouldn't look too much into his inconsistencies because you can break out of that. Oh, yeah. I think, I, th- I think Miros Nachenko has a lot more upside than Lambert at this point. Do you think, um, and the other question for for Mirchenko is the Russian factor right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. we see what's happening with the Flyers prospect. Um, you know, that's a little bit of a scary situation. Um, does that repeat itself here with another promising young player? Um, and does that scare teams off? And maybe that's why he falls in the draft. But then again, maybe the Leafs will be able mm-hmm. to select him at that position and say, hey, just stay over there, continue development, do yeah. all your things you need to do we'll see you when you're ready. Mm-hmm. You know, that way it doesn't rock the boat. There's no problems. Um, that's the only thing that I could see maybe being yeah. a huge hindering factor. Um, Cause health be damned. I think he's ready to get back on the ice and do mm-hmm. what he needs to do to get himself back to where he was, which was in discussion to challenge for, you know, maybe a top three pick. Yeah. And even so, I, I obviously you mentioned the Russian factor too. Like, how much is that going to play a factor? Um, it'll be interesting to see if the Maple Leafs do take that swing because you know he was a teenager playing in their AHL in the in the in their version of the AHL. So he was already playing against stiffer competition and tougher opponents, and he's already got the size and frame to to match that compete level, to match that yeah. intensity. Obviously, the production wasn't there because in you know, uh, Russian leagues, Swedish leagues, Finnish leagues, you got to work your way up. You got to earn the minutes and he's earned the minutes to play in that level. And I think he's got to be very competitive and it, it could open up the Maple Leafs eyes to see that, uh, you know, play at that level and to play against senior competition. No, definitely. It's going to be interesting to see where the Maple Leafs do go in this draft here with their picks, what they do. Um, I want to ask you about a few prospects the Maple Leafs do have right now. I've been doing this with everyone we had on. Um, is there someone in your eyes that jumps off the page that we're not talking about here? Um, is there a prospect that you're really high on? We've heard about Ty Voigt. We've actually had people talk about Rodin Demirov, how in a couple of years he may actually challenge for a top six spot mm-hmm. on the Maple Leafs and really open people's eyes to what we have there once his health comes back around. Um, who's a guy for you? Uh, I, I'm going to say, and not just because he won the Memorial Cup with the St. John Sea Dogs, but William Villeneuve. There, I was really high on him in his draft year. Obviously, kind of a boomer bust pick. Um, I wanted the Maple Leafs to try and take him in the second round because he was protected to try and go in that late second, early third. Yep. Maple Leafs traded down. They got Topi Niemela and Roni Hirvonen. Obviously, great picks working out right now. Yep. They were able to pick Villeneuve 
fourth round. So that that kind of got my hopes up, or that I kind of got my hopes going, saying that okay, this is a really great selection. The fact that he was supposed to be, you know, maybe top eighty pick, and he falls under the fourth round. I thought that was really great because I really wanted him. And there is some upside to his game. Obviously, you know, the Quebec Major Junior League is all offense. It's all run and gun, yeah. especially from the back end too. And the fact that he had, you know, great numbers in his draft year kind of dipped down after that, but he's trying to develop his game to be more well-rounded. And that to me, that willingness right there shows that he's putting in the work, putting in the effort, that it's not just about points. It's about playing smart within your own end. Um being strong in front of your own net. And I just think he's trying to work on his strength and just try to compete and probably be a, not necessarily maybe a four to six kind of defender. Cause if he's able to do that with his mobility and his, uh, you know, transitional game, cause that's really strong already. His passing is off the charts. If he's able to round out that game and I, we saw glimpses of it. I mean, they got uh, swept in the first round of the playoffs, but if we saw the same William Villeneuve continue to develop, to develop, that we saw in the Memorial Cup right now with the Maple Leafs, and if he gets those opportunities to, to continue and improve on his game, then I think they got a really great selection from a, as a defender in the fourth round. Yeah, by all accounts, it looks like he is going to be making his uh, jump to the pro leagues, obviously. So he'll be playing he, probably with the Marlies, I would assume. And they've been running younger players too, the Marlies. Mm-hmm. You know, basically bringing guys along. It's not the old veteran style that they've been doing. So Hopefully, we, maybe we see him there. Maybe he grows his game, takes a step up. Uh, you mentioned Toppy Nemola. You mentioned Ronnie Herbert in as well. Um, obviously, guys that jump off the page. The guy that jumps off the page the most, though, is the guy that probably won't sign until maybe the end of the year, if this year at all. But we're all excited for him. We want to see what he does this year in the NCAA, and that is Matthew Nyes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, it was a very nice pick. Last year, <laughs> had to do it. Sorry, guys. The puns are there. Um, I'm sure he's a nice guy as well. Um, but Mr. Matthew Nyes will be a power forward. Uh, probably will be challenging in the top six. Um, may alter whatever the conversation was with Kyle Dubas when he flew over there for the trade deadline and, and before the uh, the deadline for him to be able to sign and all that stuff to get into the playoffs. Whatever that conversation was, may alter ultimately what the Maple Leafs do this offseason. Because if they know that Matthew Nyes is coming and he's going to be you know, projected to be a top six player, I don't think you go out and go get somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't think you go and spend those dollars on a top six kind of-esque guy or a guy you're hoping that will be top six out of the bargain barrel if you know Matthew Nyes is coming. And also you want to run Nick Robertson as well, see what you got under the hood there. Because there's some people that have said to us, Hey, he's a 25, 30 goal scorer just waiting for the opportunity. So for you, what do you see from Matthew Nice? And is Matthew Nice going to be in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization come the end of this year? Or is he going to take some more time? Uh, before I get into that, I just want to point out that uh, Villeneuve had 56 points too shy from his draft year. So the production is still there for Villeneuve. So um didn't mean right. to uh, digress with that, but yeah, going back to Nice. Um, obviously, you know there was it was a mixed bag of reaction when he said that he was going back uh, for another year in college hockey. I mean, I understand why he went. He was very close to winning a, co- a college championship. He had a fantastic so- uh, freshman season, being a point per game player, 
And I think it was just a big step in it in his development, saying that, you know what, this is a player that had first round talent, fall to the second round, and the Maple Leafs just jumped at the gun and just said, you know what, this is our guy. Yeah. Um, come trade deadline in this upcoming season, I think it all depends on I don't want to say if they win a championship, but ultimately I think that this time around, sorry, I, I meant uh, the I know. The yeah, Gophers, the Gophers, sorry, no, no. I mean, I, I realize I, you're talking about Nyes' championship, yeah. not the Leafs. I mean, I wish the Maple Leafs would win a championship. I guess we all do, but um, Baby yeah. steps. First round first, guys. Let's get that first <laughs> round conquered. Yeah, and I, I think that even if Matthew Nice made the decision this past season, I there was talks about him getting the meaningful minutes, and we saw what happened with Robertson getting the fourth line minutes as a rookie, trying to ease his way in. I think Matthew Nice is more mature and more developed for this game. He's got the size, the speed, the tenacity, the ability to forecheck, to come out with the pucks, and you know to open the game up. I, he's very smart in that regard right now, and I think he – Obviously, you would want to transition him well. I think he would start him off in the third-line role because he has that energy, that physicality to be a grinder type of player, but also that balance to match that with the offensive abilities and the shot. So if he was to get bottom six minutes or third-pairing minutes or third-line minutes, I think that it would have worked out in his favor because it would be an audition for him to move on up. And obviously, he's still auditioning right now with you know, his season in college, but the fact that he was able to play extremely well at the Olympics um, in the short world juniors before it got canceled or postponed. And even right now with uh, going up against players that are like slightly older than him and different age groups in college, I think he showed that no matter what level he's at, he's going to succeed. And if the Maple Leafs do sign him or he does make the decision to go pro at the end of this collegiate season, I think he can get the top six role right away. I, I think it's his automatically. And I know that there's also the talk about Nick Robertson trying to get it. Um, I, I wrote a piece about top internal left wing options. I mentioned him, Holberg and Nyes. Holberg would be a temporary fix, but he's more middle six. And Nick Robertson has been dealing with a lot of injuries lately. So I think maybe this might be his last chance to try and prove something to the team that he deserves the left hand spot because Matthew Nyes for me right now, that's his. And I think Robertson is going to have to fight Matthew Nice for that left wing spot. So if you're looking at that and you say, okay, Michael Bunting and Matthew Nice are your guys, mm-hmm. then are you flipping Nick Robertson? Yeah. If he comes out in camp and doesn't impress, we all mm-hmm. know his talents there, mm-hmm. but whatever, let's not even say doesn't impress, but just underwhelms a little bit and he ends up bad back on the bottom six. Is he a guy mm-hmm. that you start dangling as a piece to say, hey, Maybe we got to move this guy for a fresh start. I mean, he snapped his leg. I mean, that's a freak injury. It's not one that's going to be reoccurring. You're not going out every two weeks and breaking your leg. I hope not anyway, because that's just brutal. But, um, yeah, I mean, this, I agree with you. This may be his last, Timothy Lilligren-esque, you know, last kick at the can where he's an offensive type player. But, I mean, it just burns me a little bit because I feel like if Nick Robertson leaves this organization and goes somewhere that gives him the opportunity – He's gonna be that guy. We all know that turns it on. Yeah, yeah. That's this is the one where I'm like, yeah, be great if we packaged him in in a Chikrin deal, Mm because you know Robertson would definitely get top line minutes in Arizona, which is what he wants. You know, maybe you do Robertson, the unhappy Rasmus Sandin, and another pick, and Chikrin's coming your way. Then they get two 
players that are going in the roster yeah. plus picks and the Leafs get Chikrin. Um, but yeah, I look at it as a guy who's going to burn us. Same thing with Sandine. We're going to talk about him for just a moment. This guy right here apparently is not happy because he doesn't see a fit for him in the Leafs roster. And that may be the same thing for Nick Robertson here soon, where he doesn't see a fit for himself. Do the Leafs sign this guy who's probably going to be part of the organization for 10 years plus and probably a pretty good damn defenseman? Or do they say, you know what? We got to move him. We got to figure out what we're doing here. We're full. Because you got Toppy Nemela coming too. Mm-hmm. And I think the difference is Nimela, uh, Nimela is a right-hand shot. So there's value and a place for him on the Maple Leafs roster when he does make the jump over and two or three years down the line. Yeah. With Sandine, this is more difficult. And I think the Giordano signing made things a hell of a lot more interesting in how they were going to try and approach the conversation with Rasmus Sandine because we all know how great he is. I mean, yep. with his, uh, I mean, there were times where he looked fantastic on the rush, on the power play. He looked better than Morgan Riley at times. But again, that left side is extremely crowded right now. And if you have a left, left D side of Riley, Muzzin, Giordano, Rasa Sandin is going to be your seventh defenseman unless he's able to play on his offside, which looked great at times, also looked really lost and out of place. Out of water. Yeah. Yeah. So do they try and keep him and mold him into a right hand or right side defenseman to, or to or defender to play on that right side? I don't know. But if he's not happy and the contract negotiations still aren't going anywhere, then yeah, you could flip them to another team that has a space that needs a solid puck moving defenseman. And you hate to say this, but left-hand defenders are more often common than right-handed defenders. Oh, yes. So if the Maple Leafs were able to move Sandine right now, and there's one left-hand defenseman in the draft that I'm really high on in Cali Adelius, that's, Kind of the same mold as Rasha Sandin, mobile two-way guy, a little bit more size and strength to him. Do they ship out Sandin and knowing that two, three years down the line, a space is going to open up, not necessarily open up because it takes time for a little bit more time for defenders, but Adelius is going to be an option on the left-hand side that can more or less fight for that right hand or left-hand spot for the Maple Leafs and be a top four defender as his projection is supposed to be. So I'm kind of with you in the same boat. I would hate to see Sandin go because he would probably, like you said about Robertson, he would torture us every single chance he would get. Yep. And, but if they're not happy and if they're, and obviously with the crowd of defense right now, if there's no place for him, you're just going to sign, if you could sign him and trade him later on or just trade his rights and another team's able to have the space to sign him and give him, the deal that he wants because I had him making just slightly over of what Lilligren, maybe 1.6, 1.7, considering that his projection is a little bit more higher. But with Lilligren right now being more rare on the right hand side than a left hand shot in Sandine, yeah, this is really tough. I mean, and Dubis has got a really tough decision to make because Sandine hasn't even scratched the surface yet. No. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if, if you want to move him to the other side, um, you know, there's rumors you can move Justin Hall. You can move all these other people. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, the unhappiness factor right now. So now you got a guy who's unhappy. And then you're going to ask mm-hmm. him to play his offside. Yeah. 
you know, you're, you're kind of making him bend and break at the same time if he wants to play, mm-hmm. you know, and he's basically going to say, you know, I can go somewhere else, have a better opportunity. Why would I bother signing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, man, it's an interesting conundrum. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs will figure it out, obviously. Um, for you, you look at this going into this offseason. We all talk about goaltending and all that stuff. But for the Leafs, I think really what they're going to do, and this is just my opinion, I think they're going to go super cheap in goal. I really do. I really think it's going to be cheap, and I think they're going to load up more on defense and obviously forwards. And by defense, I mean the bottom six will be more defensive-minded. Um, you know, think of David Camp and what he was able to bring. Um, what are your thoughts? We'll wrap on this here. What are your thoughts for the Toronto Maple Leafs this offseason? What are your thoughts in goal? And what do they do? I think they go cheap. They don't got the money. They Well, they obviously got the money, but they don't have the space mm-hmm. to spend that money. So what do they do? Obviously, uh, no matter what they do, they're going to have to create space for Campbell or if they sign somebody else. Um, I know... Uh, uh, Forbes and Alex and I have talked about this multiple times on six and the six that we, I, the faith in bringing in an unproven goaltender, like a Billy Huso, a struggling Matt Murray, who's been in the rumor mill for the Maple Leafs for some time. Are you really willing to risk that? Or do you go out and I try and get a starter? I, I, again, the free agent market is very bare when it comes to goaltenders. And I think the top two names are obviously you look at Mark Andre Fleury and Darcy Kemper. Yeah. Kemper, I feel like is going to resign in Colorado. I don't think he'll try. I mean, he'll get, he'll get a pay increase. I don't see him going anywhere considering the success that he had with the avalanche. Yeah. Campbell's contract. I thought maybe you could try and give him a similar contract to that of Kemper three, four years, maybe four, 4.5 mil max five. But even then that's a little bit risky considering he's still unproven. Um, Despite, you know, the last two playoffs not necessarily being his fault. It just still wasn't enough. The other option, again, you're looking at Marc-Andre Fleury. I, I, I can't see them going cheap in goal because of the fact that this is a position that has hurt them. And we know what happened this season, especially with the way that the Peter Morazic, um project failed completely. And if they're able to move him, they're able to move Hall, they're able to move um, – I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to move Kerfoot, but if they could free up that $3.5 million, it would be ideal – but then again, he's a utility knife uh, kind of player. Can work. I love him. Swiss Army knife, right yeah. there, man. Yeah. So, if you try and get Mark Andre Fleury, I think out of all the goaltenders that you know, I just mentioned, who so obviously he would come a bit cheaper to try and prove himself, but he's so unproven. Mark Andre Fleury is, you know, past past thirty five. He's thirty seven, thirty eight. Yeah, he doesn't have to prove. Starts, yeah, yeah, he doesn't have to prove anything more in this league. Three time Cup champ. Vesna winner obviously didn't have a great season because he was traded to Chicago. But then again, Chicago wasn't great. And you look at his numbers too, they weren't that bad. And he was giving them a fighting chance every single time. He was standing on his head and the numbers slightly improved to a more improved Minnesota Wild team. Obviously, he couldn't get the job done, but I think Minnesota as a team itself just looked flat against the Blues. So if the Maple Leafs are trying, and I even wrote about this uh, recently, if the Maple Leafs were trying to improve their defense, maybe find a right-hand defenseman that in their top four, and if they get above average goaltending with Marc-Andre Fleury, if they sign him to a two, three-year deal in the ball range of 3.74, slightly less than what Campbell's at, or not slightly less, but less than what Campbell's asking right now because 
he doesn't have anything else to prove. I think he's just chasing a cup. And I think maybe he could. I, I, I'm thinking maybe he could. I, again, I don't know what's going through his head. I'm not an insider. I don't have information. But if he was able to try and take that decrease and earn half of what he's making right now with the $7 million contract, I two, three years, Marc-Andre Fleury, he still looks pretty good. He still looks like he can play. He still looks solid in that. And he could po- post up Vezina-like numbers again. Is that a possibility? I don't know. I, I again, I, I I said this. This is probably the fifth time. I wish I was an insider to try and give these takes again, but that's just how I see it. That's just how I felt. And if they're able to build around the defense and the forwards still play top notch like they have all se- or the last two three seasons, if you have an above average Mark Andre Fleury, I think that's going to spell some good things for you. I do too. I do too. Listen. I'm pumped for the draft. I'm pumped for free agency. There's so much coming down the pipeline here. It feels so condensed, obviously. Maybe this is the last summer where everything's a ray. But, Peter, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to jump on. Huge shout-out to you guys over at Sticks and the Six. Love the show. Had each of you on. I don't think I've had Forbes on yet. I think we were arranging that. But had Alex on for sure. Uh, Love Sticks and the Six. Always make sure before the game, guys, go check out their contest they have going on. Hashtag Sit6. Make sure you get that in there. Um, where can everybody find your work? Where can they find you? And of course, this weekend you will, or this week you will be at the draft. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going to be leaving Brighton early soon, so uh, gotta get gotta get my shut eye. But um, I just want to thank uh, you, James and Dylan, for allowing me to come on. Really do appreciate that. And again, Dylan, I'm sorry I uh, butchered your name before. I forgot okay. about it. It was a long day, but I again I do appreciate you guys having me come on. Um, you can find me on Twitter at p b a r a c c h i n i. Again, sorry, long last name can't really help that. And you can find my work over at the Hockey Writers with the Maple Leaf section and the draft uh, guide and content as well. There you go. We'll have you back on hopefully maybe after the draft or throughout the yep. summer when the Leafs get moving and shaking, guys. We are proudly brought to you by Boxing Rock Brewing Co.'s Puck Off Lagerdale. I don't have the can in my hand. I forgot to grab one. But make sure you check out Boxing Rock when you get out east. Also, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk.